God's word that we consider today comes from the New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter 4, where we hear how Jesus conquered all temptation for us. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is the word of our God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. The early morning dawned just as it had every previous morning. With the Israelite camp on one hill and the Philistine camps on the other. And as the, as the dew was evaporating off of the grass, there came a loud banging sound, metal on metal, that of a shield and a sword. And if anybody was still sleeping before then, they certainly weren't anymore. It was the Philistine champion, Goliath, who came out. He came out like he did every morning, and he set forth a challenge to the Israelite army and said, bring me your champion, and he and I will have a fight. Whoever wins that side will win the battle. We will become your servants if he defeats me, but you will become ours if I defeat him. That challenge went unaccepted, like it had every other morning since he had began making it. And it's no wonder, too. Goliath stood nine feet tall. He was a warrior. The tip of his spear alone weighed 15 pounds. Going against him one-on-one on one would be suicide. Until a young shepherd boy raised his hand. David, barely old enough to shave. He had no fighting experience. Oh, sure, he had taken care of his father's sheep by keeping away the lions and the bears, but how would that translate into hand-to-hand -hand combat against Goliath? But that wasn't the only weapon that David took. He took with him the word of the living God, the living God whom Goliath had been insulting day after day after day. Well, you heard the rest of the story. David approached the giant with just a sling and a few stones. And with a simple flick of the wrist, the stone found its mark and fell the mighty giant. About a millennia later, another battle of champions took place. Not too far from the place that David had slew Goliath. But there were no armies this time, only the two champions. And on the one side, you had a man of God. In fact, it was David's son, David's greater son. Even more than that, he was God's son too. 
Jesus Christ. And the other champion was none other than the prince of demons himself, the devil. And those two champions went head to head and the stakes were far greater than it was for David versus Goliath. It would not be an exaggeration to say that the fate of the whole world hung in the balance because it did. The devil had the entire world enslaved. And it would have stayed that way had Jesus fallen into temptation just one time. Now is the battle of champions that we heard in our gospel for today. As Jesus was tempted by the devil on three distinct occasions. And those temptations that Jesus endured from the devil in the wilderness, along with the rest of the temptations that he faced throughout his life, were emblematic of all of the temptations that you suffer and that I suffer. And as Jesus, as the Son of Man, he faced those temptations on our behalf, not only as God's champion, but ours as well. And we see what happened. Both in the wilderness and throughout his life, Jesus crushed temptation. And yet it's so much more than remembering a quaint story from 2,000 years ago. This temptation crushed has an influence on our life today, and that's what the reading from Hebrews talks about, how Jesus' crushing temptation impacts our life. What does it mean for me? And it's in the book of Hebrews that we find it. What exactly Jesus overcoming those temptations means for us. What it means for Christians yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Now the book of Hebrews is a little bit of a mystery in the Bible. It's about the only book of the Bible that we don't know who exactly wrote it. We don't know who exactly it was written to. But the message that it contains is timeless. The message is meant to bring certainty. Certainty to Christians who are facing their doubts about this whole Christian thing. Certainty to Christians wondering if this was all worth it. And that certainty is all wrapped up in Jesus Christ. The writer calls Jesus our great high priest. And maybe especially in this area, that word priest sticks out a lot. But Jesus is not a priest in the sense that, that of any priest that you may know. Not even in the sense of any pastor that you may know. He is a great high priest. And one of the, the main jobs, duties of the high priest in Israel and the, the duty that the author to the Hebrews focuses on is how the priest was to be a mediator for the people. To be a mediator between the people and God. And that's exactly what Jesus was. He was the great high priest, the go-between between God and man. And he goes up to heaven to speak to God on our behalf face to face. That's what makes Jesus our great high priest. And yet even though he's up there in heaven and even though he's interceding on our behalf, he is intimately acquainted with us as well. And he should be. Because he spent 33 years living in this world, a world that he created. He faced 33 years worth of temptations. 
He faced 33 years worth of pain and sorrow and misery. He knows what it is like. And as the author writes, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. All those temptations Jesus went through, he crushed. Not only does he know what life and temptation is like, he knows what it's like to beat them. In no other religion devised by man has God ever come down into this world to be one of his own creation. In no other religion could God ever say, I know what you're going through. In Christianity, it's different. God does know what you're going through. Jesus knows what pain feels like. He knows what temptation feels like. He knows what it's like to suffer. And it should not only encourage us, but it should give us certainty. Certainty that Jesus has crushed temptation for us. And oh, how we needed him to do that. Because you and I face multiple temptations every single day of our lives. Face these temptations from the devil. We're tempted to do things that we should not. Tempted to say things that we should not. Tempted to even think things that we should not. And some of these temptations are, are common to all of us. Others of them are a little bit more specific, maybe geared to, to where we live, who we are, our stage in life. And you can be sure that the devil knows your particular weakness. He knows the place where you are vulnerable, and he knows the time when you're vulnerable too. Now, it's true that there may be instances where we can resist an individual temptation, but the devil only needs to succeed once. He only needs to find one chink in the armor, and he does. And that one chink in the armor is enough to drag us down with him to hell. And it's this chink in the armor that creates so much uncertainty in our lives. At least we call it uncertainty. In my basic Bible Christianity class, one of the first questions I ask is, if you were to die tonight, would God let you into heaven? And there's three options. There's yes, no, and I hope so. The most common answer to that question is, I hope so. I hope that God would let me into heaven because I've really tried my hardest. I hope that God would let me into heaven because I don't want to consider the alternative. I hope God will let me into heaven because, well, I'm so much better than a lot of the people, for instance, that aren't coming to church. But in short, when they answer, I hope so, it's a reminder of the uncertainty. And that's what happens when we turn inward and try to look for certainty in ourselves, in our own lives, as evidence for our getting to heaven. We're not going to find it. And we'll all be left with, I hope so. Because each and every one of us has at some time and in some place, let's be real, often in many times and in many places, fallen into temptation, fallen into sin. Each and every one of us has felt guilty. Each and every one of us has felt shame. 
We felt uncertainty about his or her own place with God. Which takes us back to Jesus and his crushing of temptation and why it is so important. He didn't just crush temptation to show us how to do it. He didn't crush temptation partially and then say, okay, you guys finish the rest. He crushed temptation totally and completely so that our sins and our temptation need not frighten us anymore, need not give us uncertainty. Because Jesus crushed temptation, we have certainty. It changes the answer to that question of, if you were to die tonight, would God let you into heaven? It changes it from an I hope so to a yes. And at first, it might seem like an arrogant answer. Who are you to say that you're sure you're going to get to heaven? But that's what temptation crush means. It means we're certain and we're holding on to the promises that God gives us himself in his word, holding fast to those promises and the faith that we profess means that we're certain about what God's word says. And yet while Christ crushed temptation, you might wonder why do I still have to face it today? It's a good question. And maybe a better way to, to think of it is that Christ crushed the consequences of temptation. We still face temptation because we live in a sin-filled world. We still face temptation because the devil will do anything he can to drag as many people as he can away from the certainty they have in Christ. Or you could look at it in this way, that God allows this world to endure and thus allow us to face more temptations because he wants more and more people come to a knowledge of the certainty that there is in Christ. And yet while we still do face temptations, we know the consequences of those temptations are crushed. And even though we face temptations, we know the final outcome of the battle because of what we heard in our gospel reading for today. Even though we face temptations, we have a certainty of grace for our failures. And listen to what the author of the Hebrews says again. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Consider how unique this is. We just wrapped up our Sunday Bible class on the book of Esther. And in that Bible class, we were reminded how dangerous it was to go before the king's throne unannounced. The king could have you killed there was certainly not confidence for Esther going before the king's throne. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah also had a vision of heaven in which he went into the throne room of God and his first thought was certainly not confidence, but rather it was fear and trembling. But that's not what going before God's throne is like. We don't have to go in trepidation, but we can go in confidence. We can go to God in prayer. We can go to his throne in confidence for every time that we have fallen, knowing that it is a throne of grace, a throne of mercy. This is what temptation crushed means. It means we have grace. This is what I want you to take with you this season of Lent that we have a champion, a great high priest who made life worth living and death worth dying. And so we dare not lightly dismiss or thoughtlessly trade him in for anything inferior.
And quite frankly, anything else is inferior. Instead, we can hold firmly and confidently to all the blessings he gives. We can be like David, who in our first lesson went confidently before the giant Goliath, not because of his own strength, but rather because of God's. Now, I know sometimes we like to think of ourselves as champions in our own rights. We like to think of ourselves as fighters or, or maybe even kind of like a David situation. But when it comes to our eternal welfare, we cannot nor should we think of ourselves as a champion. For Christ is our champion, and he has already fully crushed temptation for us. He has fully crushed our enemy, the devil. He has fully crushed death itself. Because of this, we have certainty and grace. Amen. Now may he who began a good work in you carry it out to completion on the day of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.